0: Hello and welcome to this one time on my (laughs) mission.
1: And that is our new energetic intro that we've been looking for. Just
0: record that and play it every time you do a podcast like
1: this. That's probably a good idea. Awesome. (laughs) And if you recognize that voice, we are here this week again uh, with our... Normally our guest host, but he's becoming a bit of a regular, Shane Letheby. Spencer just cannot get enough of me. That's yeah. what we need to learn here today. Does
2: America get enough
1: of you? <laughs> <laughs> Do Americans listen to I this? I suspect yeah.
2: that they cannot.
1: Yeah, according, <laughs> according to our uh, analytics, we have like four Americans to listen to. Oh! There you go. They you can't go. get enough of me. Bring a ding so ding. Great. ding. Yeah. And... Uh, and so we need to apologize that Ben's not here this week. He had to get a day job because, believe it or not, this whole podcasting thing is not <laughs> not paying the bills Very just limited. yet. Not as of yet.
3: <laughs> not as I'm of shocked.
1: yet. One day soon. <laughs> um, and uh, before we get started, we also have to wish Shane a happy birthday. It is my birthday today. And Shane, how old are you turning today? I don't know how old I am, but I'm feeling 22. Feeling 22. So That's... Great, because normally I would imagine that you feel about 15,
0: 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know what, Spencer? Normally I feel like you feel like you're about 70, so you know All what? Right. Right. Well, enough with this clever banter.
3: <laughs> banter.
2: <Bencha>. Repartee. <laughs> it was clever.
1: We um, It's time for us. We should introduce our guest on the podcast this week. We're really excited. As opposed to... Um, how we normally record in the stinky back room of my apartment. (laughs) This week we're recording from the Calgary uh, North Institute building for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're here with the benevolent uh, Cindy Russell. Hey! Hey! Hey. adjective. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we really like Cindy. Shane and I are big fans of the Institute building. Uh, We kind of run the place, uh, unbeknownst to the people who actually run the place. (laughs) Um, But Cindy is kind of like... Uh, I like to think of her as the oracle of the institute oh. building because she just.
2: I'd prefer the Godfather. But the Godfather. The well, <laughs> yeah, you can
1: be both the oracle Godfather. There we go. Um, and so, is the one that you like. You go to at the front desk when you need uh, advice in your life, or just to schmooze a parking pass.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you need to, when you need to convince somebody that you did all your readings. Yeah. You know, so.
2: I love judging people. I love judging whether, you know, people are, are deserve parking or not. It makes me feel powerful. And I love going and giving people tickets. Like it's the smallest amount of power, but man, it makes me feel good. Yeah. If I had grown up with any money or any influence, I would be a really <laughs> terrible person.
1: <laughs> I feel like there's some uh, Doctrine and Covenant scriptures. Actually, yeah, about. there are.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're pretty much bang on with that one. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, so, yeah, Cindy, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with us and talk a little bit about your mission that you served in Ecuador. Yes. And what was the actual official title?
2: I was the, in the Ecuador-Quito mission. Ecuador-Quito. Yeah. Quito. Quito.
1: Quito. And how long ago did you serve?
2: No. Oh. Sorry,
0: or, or you can
1: not answer No, it's now. okay. Actually,
2: it's funny. Um, this August, I will have been home for 10 years.
0: For 10 years? Wow, what an anniversary.
2: Yeah. Are you going to do anything <laughs> to celebrate? Um, probably... No. <laughs> Probably no. I'm trying to think I'm like, well Fine. no. I might gently weep. <laughs> might gently weep. <laughs> While eating ice cream in the tub or something like that. That's, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a good night. That's
1: like every Tuesday night for sure. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Anyways, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so um, we we're just gonna get right into it this week. Sure. Start asking you some questions, get the whole spiel on uh, your mission story, your life story. Um, did you grow up in the church?
2: Scene? I did. I grew up in the church. I'm the youngest of seven children. I grew up in Hannah, Alberta.
1: With Nickelback? Oh, uh,
2: yeah.
1: We got to ask. <laughs> Tell us, how, how did you know Chad Kroger? Were you close personal friends? I did
2: not know Chad Kroger. But you knew of him? I knew, no, oh. not even, wow. really. Mm-hmm. I remember once... The name their their band used to be named The Village Idiots. That makes and sense. And then they changed it to Nickelback. And I remember once they were playing in a beer gardens in uh, in Hannah and it was like five dollar admission and I remember saying, I'm not paying five bucks to see Nickelback. Who would pay five dollars <laughs> to see Nickelback? <laughs> And I um, hold true to that, actually, to this <laughs> day. But that's my personal opinion. I, I know it's it floats some people's boat.
3: but Yeah, no, that's fair.
2: My boat don't float mm. to Nickelback. Did
1: you go to the same high school? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's only one high school. There's it's, only one high school. Yeah, it's a town of 3,000 people, probably less now. Um, I was out there my whole life. Uh, we were the only, like, active Mormon family with active youth in town. There were some mm-hmm. other families, but... You know, they they weren't – well, anyways, <laughs> I won't speculate on that. I just remember I didn't have any other members in my grade, mm-hmm. um, and, and that was who I spent most of my time with. So I was really, really lucky because I had amazing friends who were – you know <laughs> – the the standards of living the gospel didn't play that big of a role in my life like mm-hmm. I wasn't like, you know, I wish I could do seminary every morning. No, like, oh, I don't. Know. Uh, like I <laughs> I really I hated going to church so much and when I was old enough to be in young women's I would go and spend young women's like sitting in the back of the car waiting for mm-hmm. my family to be done church cuz mm-hmm. I just it, I didn't jive with it. It wasn't me. Um and I was I was really lucky to have the friends that I did who you know really loved me and cared about me and you know they knew that I didn't drink and I didn't do any of that stuff so there was never any pressure which I looking back now I realize how important that was and just those friendships were really really important to me and they they taught me more uh yeah they they taught me a lot so that was great um I moved to Calgary when I was 17 and uh I had no intention of staying in the church at all. I was like, peace, I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. out of my parents' house. I don't have to do this anymore. Um, But, uh, you know, life hit me kind of hard, and that's when I first started struggling with, like, depression and anxiety. And and it was was things that I had learned in church that really got me through Mm -hmm. that time. And then I started coming to institute, and it, it was all completely over my head. I mm-hmm. I didn't understand anything that was being said. Like I was just like a convert to the church where you're like, Meh. but I felt something there and it was really comforting. And so I would go and I kind of studied on my own and a couple of years went by and yeah, it came to a point where I was like, well, maybe I could serve a mission. And I'd never thought that I could before. I was like, only nerds serve missions, like Mormon nerds <laughs> that are nerds. like, yeah, right. That are like, I'm gonna go spread the gospel, and I'm like, I'm gonna live my life, loser. But um, yeah, but then when I when I really started like studying and and feeling, you know, the truth of the gospel, I was like, yeah, it is really important to to share this with people and to talk to people about it. So yeah, it's kind of how I decided to serve.
0: Well. That is an excellent story of how you've started. To well, design, there that you decision. Go.
2: But see, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't grow up with member friends because it gives me a bit, bit more of an edge. Like mm. I will always have an appreciation for things that I think a lot of members in the church are like, really? You mm. like that? But it's just, you know, but I like that about myself.
0: Yeah. We like that about you too. Cindy. <laughs> Edgy Cindy. Edgy Cindy. Edgy. Yes. That's, what we call That's what she's called on the streets. <laughs> That's right. Of Hannah. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't think my name ever gets mentioned in Hannah anymore.
0: <laughs> you and Chad Kroger are probably the biggest two people to ever come out of Hannah.
1: Yeah, Roberta. that seems
2: accurate. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so once you decided to go on a mission, mm-hmm. uh I guess what what were you expecting?
2: Of? Oh man. I well first of all I didn't want to go. I like it was I was <laughs> the Lord has drugged me, kicking and screaming through every good experience in my life. Um <laughs> I didn't want to go because I, I had so many friends here in Calgary and I loved my life and things were, things were coming up Cindy. I knew what I wanted to do for work and, and school and everything. And then I was just like, oh, dang it. I feel like I need to do this. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll proceed with getting ready to go. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll just, I'll feel it more as I go along. And the process of getting ready for the mission was so hard, like, just all the bureaucracy of like getting your papers together going to a doctor and going to a dentist and getting all your vaccinations and travel shots and everything it it took me forever and it was really difficult and i was like this sucks i don't want to do this <laughs> but at the same time as that as the um, the opposition grew my resolve grew i was like okay well i must really want to do this because i'm i'm not being dissuaded by any of these things Mm -hmm. right so it kind of looking back now I'm like yeah that was important for it to be difficult because it showed me that it was my decision Mm
3: -hmm.
2: not just like God wants you to do this it's like no I want to do this so Mm -hmm. important that was
1: important and so when you uh get the white envelope in the mail and you open your (laughs) mission call is that a um a triumphant moment is that a nervous moment where were you hoping to go yeah
2: Um, I thought for sure I was going stateside or Winnipeg. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to Winnipeg because I just, I didn't want to go to Winnipeg. And I knew that it was going to be like, in my mind, I thought it would be sort of a chastising, like, bring you low so I can bring you high kind of thing. But um, I got my mission call on December 20th and I didn't open it till December 25th. So I waited five days so that I could open it Christmas Day with my whole family.
0: A Christmas present from the church. A Christmas
2: present, yeah. (laughs) So I pronounced my mission wrong when I first read it. I said Quido. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Quido. Quido. (laughs) Um, And I saw Ecuador, and at first I was like, oh, I know that's a Spanish-speaking country, (laughs) but I don't know where it is. I just felt like an idiot because I thought it was Central America. It's not. It's South Mm -hmm. America, for anyone that was like me. It's South (laughs) America. Um, And, uh, yeah, it was really sobering. It was exciting, because, of course, you're like, oh, wow. But it was Spanish-speaking, and that was scary. And um, I was called to be a welfare missionary as well. So it's proselyting, so you go and you teach people about the gospel, but you're also really involved in community service projects and um family service projects, things like that, which was really important to me at the time because I had just decided that I wanted to do humanitarian work for a career. Mm-hmm. And um so for me to put that aside to go on a mission, I was like, okay, I'll do the mission. And then the Lord was like, guess what? You get to do that in Ecuador. And that was just chance. Mm-hmm. You know, that I mean you guys have talked about it on the podcast before where you get sent is totally up to the church. Yeah. You don't really have much say in it. Um. You either accept the call or you don't. And So when the call came for a welfare mission in a developing country, I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> that's yeah. that's pretty spot on for what I was hoping to do with my life." So,
1: yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's amazing. And that's um, that's pretty unique. I don't. Do those even exist anymore? Welfare missions for young people? Is that no?
2: St- I don't. At least I don't think not they so do. often, anyways. Yeah, what it meant was we had an extra week in the MTC. Mm -hmm. So you had a week of, they call it bienestar, which is like welfare, Mm well-being in Spanish. So you had a week of bienestar training, and then you had nine weeks of language training. So I was in the MTC for 10 weeks. And (laughs) y'all, it nearly killed me. Anyone who knew me in the MTC, I was, oh my goodness, I was just such a i was a bear to be around <laughs> because it in so many ways it felt like prison i was like i am it in really prison does. and i'm surrounded by all these like happy oh we're going to go serve the lord people and i was like i'm <laughs> losing my life these are not my people i felt so out of place and and but it, it it's interesting this has always been my experience with the gospel with the church is that it's hard for me to find people mm-hmm. to fit in with it's it's really what the gospel teaches mm-hmm. that clicks with me. So right. when I'm surrounded by people that maybe I wouldn't normally gel with or, like, are happy-go-lucky and... Mm-hmm. I the I, I left the measure of literally Lethides. just gonna say the <laughs> me's of the world. <laughs> I would tend to isolate and be like, I don't I'm I have nothing kind to say to you, so I'm gonna just back up. Um, and this is how you tell me. Well, wow. no, but I mean this is the thing, is my mission changed that. We'll we'll get into that, but <laughs> yeah, but it was uh it was the, difficult for me. Definitely but the gospel like reading the scriptures and contemplating, meditating the messages and kind of having those moments where I kind of just sat and thought about what I was learning and what I was doing, I would feel that calm and that peace come. Mm-hmm. And and that's what helped me be like, okay, I'm in the right place. I'm mm-hmm. doing the right thing. Even though this is so contrary to my personality and, mm-hmm. and um, being there so long, it took me a long time to come out of my shell. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really until right at the end. Mm, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it can be a tough time in the MTC. <laughs> when when I was there, I always remember this moment. We were like walking uh off to dinner and there was some uh there was like maintenance workers and, and this guy was like changing a light bulb up on like this ladder and we were we, as we were walking by, he was like, Hey elders, what's the difference between the MTC and prison? <laughs> and we we're like, I don't know and he's like in prison, you get one phone call home. <laughs> 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 he just starts laughing at us, and like. And
2: you're like. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. You're like laughing on the outside, like, haha, good one. And inside, you're like holding back tears, like, oh.
3: That's
1: <laughs> um, actually. <laughs>
3: I want to
2: meet that guy. <laughs> yeah, he
1: probably was just telling that
0: joke all day too. Uh,
1: yeah. Everyone that walked by.
2: <laughs> he was just so pleased with himself. Like,
0: <laughs> I have the best joke ever for these missionaries. Yeah, uh, man. Well, then, if that was how your MTC experience was, when yeah. you got to the field, was it like this massive relief, or how was how was how, how was your first day in Ecuador?
2: I, when I look back, at a lot of my mission. I was I had I had an E.R. complex where I was like, okay, I guess I'll get on the plane. I guess I'll go on my mission, you know. And no matter how many times the Lord was like, "These are wonderful people. You're having a wonderful time. You're learning so many wonderful things." Anytime there was a change or there was something that wasn't expected or something new, I just was like, I guess I'll go. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, but so when I got into the mission field, um, it was terrifying because everybody that was with me in my district. So the group of people at the MTC that you're there with the whole time, mm-hmm. they were going to Ecuador as well, but they were going to a different mission than mm-hmm. me. So um, we flew to Ecuador together, but I got off the plane by myself and Quito and they were going to Guayaquil, which is in the south. Um, Further south. And so I get off the plane and I'm I've never been at this point I've never been outside North America. And so I was like, "Uh, what if I get lost? What if somebody robs me? Like all the yeah, all that fear. And so, anyways, I get off the plane and I meet the sisters that were there to pick me up. And we get into a cab and we're driving through the streets of Quito. Let me say first of all, when you're when you're descending into the city, it is huge. It is so massive, and I just thought, I am going to die here, (laughs) and that just kept going through my mind, and then when we were driving, um, when we were driving through the streets, there are no traffic rules in Ecuador at all, like, there's lights and there's signs, but they're suggestions, like, (laughs) it's the most amazing defensive driving I've ever seen in my entire life, like, the fact that people don't get in accidents all the time is incredible, so this guy's weaving in and out of traffic, and I'm just like uh, I was terrified and so my first day in Ecuador was really scary for me and overwhelming. I just felt so I I was brought so low. You know, like I I had to I had to let go of myself because I knew Cindy can't do this by herself. I'm too afraid I don't have enough I don't have what it takes to do this. So it was sort of like <laughs> There's this old, there's this, I'm going to digress here a minute. There's this old movie. I grew up watching this movie called No Retreat, No Surrender. And my lovely friend Andy introduced me to it. A lot of people watched Karate Kid Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. I never did. I never watched it until like a couple weeks ago, actually, for the first time. I grew up watching No Retreat, No Surrender, which is like the, you know, removed step cousin of (laughs) Karate Kid. Um, It's horrible. Like the whole premise is this kid moves to Seattle and... He loves Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee's ghost comes and teaches him. Uh, Lucky kid. That yeah, right? Awesome. So in this one scene, this uh, Bruce Lee ghost is teaching him, and he holds up this glass, and he's like, this is you, this glass is full. I can't give you anything if your glass is full. So he like empties the glass, and he's like, now this, this needs to be you so I can teach you. And anyways... <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head, but <laughs> that's that's what it felt like. I was just like, okay, I have to rely completely on the Lord. And so I won't give you a day by day, obviously, but the next day I, I found out my first area was, it's called Ibarra and it's um, just south of the Colombian border. And so these um, missionaries took me to the bus station, which is just pure chaos, <laughs> right? Like animals, people everywhere. And they're like, this is your bus. Get on this bus. It's going to take you there. I'm by myself, mm-hmm. completely alone. So I get on this bus, and for the first time since I landed on the plane, like I sat in my seat, and I just bawled my <laughs> eyes. out. I was like, <laughs> people are looking at me. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> so the bus takes me up to Ibarra, and, and I'm like, I'm not familiar with Spanish yet. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not comfortable enough to to ask people anything. Mm-hmm. I don't recognize what people are saying to me. So I'm just sitting on this bus, and we're going through this town. And all of a sudden, this guy just bursts onto the bus, and he's like looking around, and he's like, "Hermana," <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "Uh," and his name was Edwin, and he's like, "We're we're here to pick you up. We're here to pick you up." And I'm like because it wasn't a bus stop. Like he literally just jumped on the bus (laughs) when the bus had stopped at a sign or like in traffic. And so he's like, she's getting off. She's getting off here. And so we went and I was like, okay, I hope I'm not about to die. (laughs) And we, we took all my luggage off the bus and then we got a taxi and my companion was with him. I didn't see her, but she was with him and we went to the apartment and I found out later the, uh, the missionaries in Quito put me on the wrong bus. Oh, so I was headed to Colombia <laughs> without my passport and without any like <laughs> official ID, which means Cindy would have been in a lot of trouble <laughs> and Cindy may have and probably would have been kidnapped, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that was my first day in Ecuador.
3: Eventful. Yeah, good old Edwin,
2: Edwin, yeah, Edwin and his wife, hey, Omara, they were. Oh, and they had these two little baby boys. Now they're all grown up, but um, uh, Inti was the was the baby and Manolo was the was the older boy. Yeah, very sweet family. They were very good to me. They spoke some English too, which was just like mm-hmm. a Heaven, haven, yeah. right? When you're living, learning another language yeah. and you have anybody to speak English to, oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyways. Mm. Killer. Dang, it sounds, it sounds a lot more
1: like crazy than my first day in Vancouver. <laughs> We're so babied these days. Yeah. Just driven right to the apartment, dropped off.
2: Really? Yeah, okay. I mean,
1: we had a car, so just cruising with my companions. Well, I guess that makes
2: sense, right? We had a day
1: yeah. uh, like my first night. They like set up a dinner appointment with uh, the ward mission leader and like told them that, you know, there's going to be a new missionary. So, like, they cooked this massive dinner, and it was just, like, everyone was so happy I was there, and I just felt so loved. Yeah.
2: I'm <laughs> Cindy, happy for you, Spencer. Yeah, I was going to punch you in the face, Spencer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah I had talking. a three-hour bus ride through, like, <laughs> the backwoods of Ecuador. Like, <laughs> Anyways, I mean, but, I mean, I look back at it now, and I, I wouldn't trade a second of it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways.
1: Man. And so, so how did that... Um, Transition, Like, if you were to describe, like, the first three to six months of your mission, um, how did that go? Was it more of the same, or did things change pretty quickly?
2: Oh, no, it was more of the same <laughs> for me. It was, yeah. like, it was such a culture shift. Mm-hmm. Even just random things, like seeing dogs on roofs and seeing babies in boxes on, you know, like, just, you know, parents would put their babies in a box while they were doing chores and stuff. As you walk As the street, You just see this toddler in a box and just look up and you're like, that's, that's not, not normal. <laughs> so it was changing that, sh- like, shifting that paradigm of what's normal, mm-hmm. you know, what requires my intervention and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I was really homesick and... I was frustrated with, you know, my progress, the language. I felt like it wasn't fast enough. I felt like I was really not effective. Mm I was really insecure. My, my trainer, Jonesy, Hermana Jones, she's, oh, yeah, I love Jonesy. Um, She was so patient with me and she was so positive, but she would also like not let me Get too deep in my self pity or my mm-hmm. wallowing. She'd be like, "Okay, we gotta go. We got stuff to do," and and um, I looking back now, I really appreciate that she was that way, but uh, it was it was really hard for me, really 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 hard. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Was there a moment where things changed? Yeah. Was it hard the whole time, or did you hit a?
2: No, it yeah. was. Um, there was this one afternoon I was – so we got to go use the internet once a week to go mm-hmm. email our families. We had these little internet cafes, and you were lucky if you could get, you know, one email mm-hmm. done in in the hour that you had just for the time that it took to get it all going. It was dial up. The speed <laughs> Exactly. So you're just like, come on. And the keyboards were different. Mm-hmm. So you – like you'd, you'd want to put a question mark and it'd give you an apostrophe or, you know, like you'd want to hit an N, but it's like an E with a tilde and you're like, oh, <laughs> it was so frustrating. Um, I was writing with my I was writing an email to my family and my brother emailed me back right away because he was online. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because it was like I am messaging with somebody in my family, yeah. which at the time I was like, this will never happen. But it was mm-hmm. happening. And I was saying to my brother, I just got really real with them. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I I, I was done. And he just said, he's like, you know, Cindy, being on a mission is like you're climbing up a mountain and you get halfway up and you're like, why the hell did I start this? <laughs> and he's like, so you have two choices. You can go back down or you can keep going back up. And, you know, I walked out of the Internet cafe and we had an appointment right afterwards and so I was walking there with my companion and I was just like trying to decide what am I going to do and we got to this appointment I'm teaching this woman named Sandra and her daughter Estefania and uh, they were wonderful so kind uh, and genuinely interested in what we were saying and we got to the point where we were talking about um, the restoration of the gospel and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and how it was a record of you know uh north america and uh it was my turn to teach the portion of the lesson and i was still just feeling really insecure but i just started talking and i started you know getting out what i was trying to say and sandra's face just changed and these she like she got teary and uh like i knew that she was feeling something and i knew that you know the lord was using me as an instrument to help her feel something to help her feel that he's aware of her that he loves her and that there's something good here and uh it was just an incredibly mm-hmm. um cathartic moment for me because i was like wow even as useless as i feel if i'm willing the lord can can work through me mm-hmm. and um yeah, that was that was a huge game changer for me at that point. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I I imagine it would be. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I kind of feel like that. Like that is kind of true of missions. You know what I mean? I feel like the moments that are the hardest are when we're thinking about ourselves, and the moments that are like the moments that like make it all worth it and make it like you know
3: the,
0: the best two years. Everybody says um, are the moments when you realize that like it's like you know, it's for somebody else and you're, you're just a tool, you know what yeah. I mean? Does that make sense? Would Absolutely. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, it's the missionary commission, right? Like we're there to stand where he would stand and to say what he would say and do what he would do. And the moments that I had the most clarity and the most feeling of just being like, I am exactly where I want to be. Mm-hmm. were in those moments when I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm helping someone. I'm showing someone that they matter and that. They're not invisible, and you know, you get to love or, or serve somebody, mm-hmm. and it's just a beautiful, beautiful feeling. So,
3: yeah, 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 absolutely,
1: man. Normally, I know this got really serious, say, Normally, right? Normally, <laughs> normally this is a time where, like, we bring in the rapid-fire questions and ben, <laughs> ben starts asking you, like, if you ever pooped your pants on your mission yes, or something.
2: Yes, multiple times. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. When you we serve in South America, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's not if you poop your pants. It's when you poop your pants. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, parasites? All the time. I, so, I, in February of 2007... I woke up one morning and my tongue was yellow and I was like, what?
1: <laughs> that's unusual because there's this
2: drink down there. It's like Sunny D. I think they have it here. Tampico. Have you guys seen the Tampico? Something like Heard of that. Yeah. I, feel like I, I may have, have it had too, it actually. I thought it was just an Ecuador thing, but I guess it's in North America too. But anyways, it was just came in these little jugs and we drink it all the time. It was cheap. It was like 10 cents for a little bottle of it. And so I was like, oh, maybe I've been drinking too much Tampico. Really? And then like a day goes by and it's still yellow. A week goes by and it's still yellow. <laughs> I'm like, should I do something about this? And it was just the the best part about it was all the remedies that mm-hmm. I that I was given. This is Ecuadorians are so helpful and they have a remedy for everything. <laughs> there was one elder who had acne and he was told if you pee in your hands and wash your face no, with your pee, no. your acne will go away. <laughs> Did he do um, it?
1: What's the scientific no. basis for that? Like
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know, lemon, lemon and onions were everything. It's like, Mm. just, you know, my, my cousin had, uh, my cousin had a tumor and he drank lemon with tea every day for a month and the tumor went away and we're like, oh, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) So, uh. Someone should tell a doctor.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So with my yellow tongue, I had lots of good remedias. One of them was pink honey. They're like, go to the pharmacy and ask for pink honey. And I'm like, What? So I went, and sure enough, I was like, uh, can I get pink honey? They're like, oh, yeah. They give me <laughs> this little thing. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Like, is it,
0: was it, it wasn't honey. What it was it?
2: It was, I don't know. I honestly don't know what From medicinal properties that it had. That comes. makes
0: sense, actually, because yellow bees, yellow honey. This yeah. little
2: container. And the best thing with the pharmacies, they, they were like 7-Elevens, right? <laughs> so they were just scattered all over the place. Some of them would be in the middle of nowhere. And you walk in, and there's just a guy in a white coat in a building that had nothing but, like, fields and animals around it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can get you whatever you need. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, you didn't need prescriptions for, like, anything. Um, Did it work? But, no, no, pink honey didn't work. (laughs) I I imagine it was supposed to turn your tongue
0: pink
1: again. Pink honey, maybe.
0: (laughs) The issue was
2: you're having Um, too much yellow honey. Another another remedia that I was given was to suck on a pineapple, which is funny because... um, in in uh, Spanish, at least in Ecuador, uh, one of the sayings or a saying that they used for making out was chupar la piña. <laughs> so I was like, are you telling me to literally suck on a pineapple or are you telling me to make out with someone? Oh, it was funny. But the yellow tongue never went away. To this day, so it, I mean, it's, it's gone down, but to this day, I'll still get a yellow tongue. What? And nobody knows why. I went and saw doctors in Ecuador. I went wow. and saw doctors when I came home, and everybody was like, I have no idea. And then <laughs> every once in a while, I run into some hippie that's like, oh, it means that, you know, you've got this digestive, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> You're like, have some pink honey. <laughs> I have a theory that there's like an Amazonian tribe somewhere that is waiting for the arrival of a woman with a yellow tongue to lead them into glory. And mm. so someday I'll find them and they'll be like, You've arrived. And it'll be like C3PO when he goes and he, you know meets yeah. the Ewoks and like he's a god. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna play out like that. <laughs>
1: I believe well, you. it'll be a good day. It'll be a
2: good day. I'm excited for yeah. that
1: day. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um well we wanted to specifically ask you, um, as I've heard the rumors about a, a pretty unique um Just kind of situation in your mission where you ran into, um, I guess, just like a lot of disobedience or a lot of (laughs) disorganization or however you want to say it. I think it's, I wanted to talk about it because I think it's just something that everyone needs to be aware of. Like if Mm -hmm. you're preparing to serve a mission, we, I mean, there's like, what, two, three hundred missions in the world. And so you hope that everyone is just like a well-oiled machine. But I think it's just the unfortunate reality that some missions are just run better than others. Yeah. And some missions are more obedient than others. Yeah. And so, I mean, everybody preparing to serve or who has children serving or know someone serving, like, yeah. should be preparing personally or encouraging their missionaries, like, to yeah. just be able to deal with those situations when they come. Because it's going to hit you. Whether, you, even if you're in, like, a really obedient mission, you're going to hit a companion or, or a district leader or somebody who, like, probably isn't doing what they should. And you're going to need to know how to deal with that situation. That's why we wanted to, to get the scoop from your, <laughs> your story and then tell yeah. us, I mean, what you learned yeah. from it and how you handled it and give, give your advice to missionaries who are about to head into similar situations.
2: So I, I highly doubt that there is now a mission that was in the same position that mine was because mm-hmm. <laughs> mine drew a lot of attention because mm-hmm. of some of the things that happened there, drew attention in like church uh, in Salt Lake and everything. Essentially, without going into too many details, uh, my mission was like the Wild West, man. There was no, there was no, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh,
3: Sheriff <laughs> there was cowboys there was no
2: real accountability you know you could get away with doing nothing every day and there'd be no repercussions you could get away with breaking mission rules breaking church rules and there was no recourse right there or no recourse there was no yeah repercussion there mm-hmm. was nothing set in place that was like if you do this you'll get sent home or they'll be you'll be reprimanded nothing mm-hmm. Um and that you know, was kind of the source of, it came from a place of not wanting to send anyone home because you don't want to affect their, their life negatively. You want mm-hmm. them to be able to work out what they need to on the mission. But the problem with that is your mission is not the place where you go to work out your issues. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever issues you have will be magnified in your mission. So there's a lot of things that you need to take care of before you get out there. And if you don't, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a real struggle. So mm-hmm. we had... Um, oh, just... Well, actually, I shouldn't say that so cavalierly. Um, <laughs> there were... For those... Okay, yeah. Actually, can we skip back over in that yeah. part? Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. leave that part out. Sure. Um, it, was, it was easy for a missionary to... Um, just kind of do their own thing, in my mission. I I mean I'm trying to describe it diplomatically, <laughs> but essentially what it came down to was, if you wanted to be a quote unquote good missionary, you were on your own. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: if you wanted to be honest about how many lessons you were teaching, um, how many investigators or pe- or people um, people you were teaching and their progress and everything, it came from you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was was lucky I had good district leaders and zone leaders throughout my mission who were very faithful, Um, but I I observed in other areas of the mission and other companionships and other districts and zones, there were people that were on the edge, if not over the edge, just trying to get away with whatever they could, and Mm -hmm. they did get away with it for a long time, and that made it difficult because... I by no means was a model missionary. Mm-hmm. I was not, <laughs> but um, considering the the lever or not the leverage, considering the what's the word I'm looking for? Sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> I think considering what what I could have done and what I could have like quote unquote you know gotten mm-hmm. away with, I I'm. I learned a lot. I learned Mm -hmm. a lot about commitment, about discipline, and about service. Mm -hmm. Because what kept me in the mission and what kept me working as a missionary was really that commitment to the work and to the Lord. And I was far from perfect. I made a lot of mistakes and I, you know, wasted a lot of time. Mm -hmm. That I look back on and I'm like, shoot, I -hmm. wish I wouldn't have done that, you know? Um, And with discipline, you know, waking up at 630 every morning, doing your studying and going out and proselyting and trying to hit those goals. You did it because those are the goals that you set for yourself. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to be accountable to somebody for this. It was like, no, it was all coming from you. Um, And then just that service, that genuine joy that you have when you sacrifice your time or sacrifice your comfort to help other people. Um, it It's because... There was that um, departure from traditional missionary obedience where it's like, if you do something wrong, there's, there's going to be something, some discipline happen mm-hmm. of some kind. Without that, for those of us that really wanted to be there for, you know, the right reasons in italics, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we became really, really close because we relied on each other you know we supported each other we helped each other we commiserated and we also like celebrated with each other Mm -hmm. in our victories and commiserated in the dark low moments and so to this day I still think of those friends that I made in my mission as uh, what I imagine people who serve in the military feel (laughs) of their military buddies you know like you were in the front line together you were in in the in the shiz (laughs) (laughs) And and it changes you and, and mm-hmm. to go through that together. It's it's something that really binds you to those people. So yeah. yeah
1: absolutely. It must have been really hard. It um, was. <laughs> it, it like and like I yeah. can't even imagine. Like my mission was um pretty opposite. Like our mission president was really, really focused on obedience and he preached it and he taught it all the time and occasionally like you'd hear stories of like a missionary who was being obedient and even if you just heard something you're like that's crazy no way like, ugh. you know like m- most every like I was blessed with pretty much every companion I had was just like obedient hard-working and I never even had to worry about that yeah um, my companions like such a were blessing. wonderful yeah. I,
2: I had amazing companions throughout my mission I was so blessed mm-hmm. um yeah but but it wasn't it was it, it showed, it rocked me because yeah. my vision of a mission was I'm going to go and my mission president's going to be like a surrogate yeah. dad mm-hmm. and my mission president's wife is going to be like a surrogate mom. That was not the case for me. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they were kind people and they loved the missionary so much, but I just didn't gel with them. Mm-hmm. And I take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. I I was really disillusioned by what I saw mm-hmm. and what elders were doing and getting away with and what sisters were doing and getting away with and and, I, like, I I kind of held this resentment mm-hmm. for my mission president and his wife. I mean, I was still obedient in the sense that when we were given challenges or things that he wanted us to do, I would do them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, you know, I tried to be respectful in that way, and I recognized completely that he was called to be there. It was his, you know, time to be there, and I was like, okay, he's who the Lord wants here right now. Um But I did not have that relationship with my mission president. Mm -hmm. It was funny because in my exit interview, he was like, Sister Russell, I know that we are not going to keep in touch after (laughs) your mission. And I'm like, you are bang on, president. We are not. You know, but we kind of wished each other well and... Anyways, but it was, that was jarring Mm -hmm. because I really thought like the mission's going to be like Xanadu. Mm -hmm. It's going to be this like, oh, we are all righteous and we're serving and it's great. But it was, it was raw. (laughs) It was raw and it was hard. And, you know, you're getting parasites and you're, you know, soaking wet at the end of the day because it's just torrential downpour. There was this one day, this guy threw a rock at me (laughs) and I just turned around and I was like, Por que? Why did you do that? And what did he say? <laughs> Nothing. He, was, he, he yeah, was no dr- reason. He was drunk.
0: <laughs> oh, there's a reason. But like, you get <laughs> yeah.
2: bit by dogs, and you you miss home, and you hear about you know all these things that people are doing at home, and you're just like oh, you romanticize it a lot, but that's not the majority of the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The majority of the time is just one tender mercy after another. Yeah. It's you're meeting incredible people who you'd never meet otherwise, who teach you these amazing lessons and you have these great stories. And I love to laugh. Like humor is a huge, huge part of the joy that I get out of life. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Lord led me to a lot of really funny realizations or funny experiences that I look back on. And I'm like, oh, that's so
3: awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I always thought, like, on my mission is that, like, I really started to realize that Heavenly Father has a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Like it's just funny, the, the situations that you end up in where you're just, you just have to laugh at it sometimes. Yeah.
2: And, um. So, when I was... So, a few things that happened when I was in Ecuador, while I was there. Uh, the World Cup. hmm The 2006 World Cup. Um, and Ecuador actually went further than they had in a long time before. And uh, well, there was a rule... Well, the mission president said, when there's a game... Uh, that that the U.S. is playing, Ecuador is playing, or Ger- Germany, or was it Brazil? Germany, I think. So if any of those three teams were playing, you could go watch the game. <laughs> That's what, what our mission president said. He's like, don't cross because you're just going to tick people off. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So just go somewhere and watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> so this one day, Ecuador was playing Costa Rica, I think. Uh, and it was to get into, I don't know, I'm not even going to pretend to know <laughs> that I know. Big but year. it was a big game. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they won it. And the town that I was in exploded. Like, everybody piled onto the streets in their cars. Just, like, schools let out. And everybody was just on the streets with flags and with jerseys and music. And it was just this huge parade. And you're like, what is happening right <laughs> now? That sounds awesome. It was it was um it was surreal, it was amazing. Um there was also the presidential campaign was going on at the time, and this is Rafael Correa, who's still the president. Um, this is when he was first running, was when I was there. So there's all this election mm-hmm. stuff everywhere. And um Ecuador, they are fans of the action movie genre. <laughs> they and we're talking old school stuff, like they love Jackie Chan, they love. Who doesn't? uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Claude Van Damme was (laughs) everywhere, because on any bus that you took between cities, they would play movies, Mm -hmm. right? And and it wasn't like you know plug in your headphones and you can listen to it if you want. It was like oh no, it was on all the speakers, right? (laughs) These movies, so you'd be sitting there as missionaries for five hours, and like. I watched The Marine, like, four times on my on my mission with John Cena. Is that his name? But yeah, I saw it, like, a million times.
1: Great actor. And then,
2: yeah, <laughs> like, all these. So you'd sit down on the bus and you'd be like, what movie's going to be on this time? And it'd be, like, Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme or Jackie Chan. And so I had a theory what during the election, I'm like, Raphael Correa looks exactly like Steven Seagal. I'm like, he's going to win. Wow. I guarantee it. And I to this day, I believe that the only reason he won is because people associate him with Steven Seagal. And they're like, he's going to lead us right. This guy's a hero. He's a hero. He's going to do us right. Yeah. No. Yeah. But in our mission president was like, yeah, you know, as long as the movie's not inappropriate, you can watch it. <laughs> Not that you could avoid it, right? Like, <laughs> it's just playing over the speakers, but yeah, a lot of times we did our best to of av- not watch it, but
3: sometimes we didn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, so that's the thing. Same thing happened in my mission on the yeah. boats, like, the exact same kind of situation, and <laughs> I remember being on a boat with my mission president, and he was just watching the movie, just, yeah. like, straight up in the front row <laughs> yeah. with the APs next to him. It was great.
2: Yeah. You're just and like, that's oh. when
0: I knew that it was okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, buses. Oh my gosh, buses were an experience all in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, people hopping onto buses selling stuff. If you needed anything, you just needed to wait, and somebody would bring it onto the bus. They'd be like selling sewing needles or um, just spices, like anything like that. You just so be like. Specific. It it's just like the grocery store was coming to you. So, so the things you'd buy off of people just hopping onto the bus to sell stuff, and then other people would get on and they'd be like, uh, "Buenas tardes, uh, damas y caballeros," and like they they so they'd introduce themselves, and then they'd have some story where they were, you know, asking for money, and they'd start singing or they'd start playing the pan flute, and you just kind of became so numb to it after a while. It <laughs> <just> was like, man. Eh. <laughs> but um, so I have
1: to hear one more pan flute. <laughs>
2: there were There's some songs that y- we heard yeah. so many times on the mission. This is one. <laughs> all the freaking time. You know this one? This is a classic. Oh.
3: <laughs>
2: like, all, yeah, I, I'm Very sure uplifting. there were elders that knew, that learned it beginning to end because it was on every bus. <laughs> This is another one we heard all the time, too. Oh, wait, I'm going to fast-forward this one. (laughs) Mm.
1: The sounds of Ecuador. I feel the spirit.
2: Oh, (laughs) absolutely. You know, it's funny because it was just... (laughs) Anyways, so we're hearing these songs that are all just like laden with innuendos of sex and drinking, and we're all like, hey! (laughs) Because we just heard them everywhere, but that's just, it becomes the soundtrack of your mission, I'm Mm -hmm. sure, for anybody. There's just songs you hear everywhere. The Da Vinci Code was big when I was on my mission, so we'd have people being like, is that real? Like, no, it's not real. (laughs) Seems believable. Pop culture just still seeps into the mission, right? (laughs) Even though you're completely cut off from it, it's still Mm -hmm. pretty fun.
1: Makes sense. I had, like, uh, we set the alarm on our cell phone to wake us up, and I think it was... Um, like come come, ye saints by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was like my morning alarm for like six months straight.
3: <laughs> now, every
1: time like, I hear that song, it's just like, Ugh. I'm going to back to sleep.
2: <laughs> I was. it was so funny because with the CDs and the music that you were like allowed to mm-hmm. listen to, I mean, we we pushed the limits as it was. Like, I would listen to the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack all the time, and <laughs> um, but there was this song that the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sang, and it was called Cindy. And it's like this, it's like this, um, it's almost like a like a folk, really, mm-hmm. really upbeat country song. There's like clapping, and it's like a Western sort of thing. But it's Motep. But it was my jam, because <laughs> it was like the only thing that Motep sang that had any kind of a beat to it. So it was just like, and it was you're your rocking name. out to it. And it was my name. So yeah, it's funny what, on the mission, you were just like, oh, this song is amazing. <laughs> Man.
1: I can only imagine if Alex Boye had a song entitled Spencer,
2: yeah.
0: I would just,
1: I, I would have melted. Yeah.
2: yeah. And it's like all about this guy being in love with this girl named Cindy and how he's gonna marry her someday. And I'm <laughs> like, it would be so romantic. And the guy played the song for me and told me that he left me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I need to go home. <laughs> well,
1: maybe someone's listening right now and uh, <laughs> maybe. down the
3: road.
2: Maybe this is going to happen. I'll get a red rose and a speaker over top of the head with singing like on it. Yeah. Just yeah. like say anything. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Um, no, I mean, uh so there were these, just thinking about buses, there were these trucks that would drive through the streets and uh, they would pick up people's pro- propane tanks because mm-hmm. all the ovens and stovetops and everything were run by propane. So you would know they were coming because they played a song over this loudspeaker and it's like, el gas, el gas, ya yeah, está aquí el gas. <laughs> so people knew like, oh, we need to take our tanks down and swap them out. <laughs> And uh, then there was another one that was the garbage, the garbage truck. They would play a huge, like a a song, really loud. So you need to take the garbage down. It's like, and uh, oh, just, just those, those are the things that I that make me smile when I think about. Like, oh, I wish we had stuff like that here. (laughs) We're so uptight. Mm. We're so uptight in North America. We take ourselves. Don't make any noise on the bus. Yeah, right. Don't
1: even like. Okay, on my mission, I always like. People always tell me all the crazy bus stories, and, uh, like, Sarah, my wife, always tells me, like, oh, the bus and the train was the best place for me to proselyte. You could just go and talk to people. No, people in Vancouver, uh, like, I got kicked off buses. You started talking to somebody, and they're just, like, they get so mad. Like, do not talk to me about Jesus. This is a bus. Sit there quiet. And, like, bus drivers would kick us off or, like, <laughs> wouldn't even pick us up. That happened to me a couple times. I'd be waiting at the bus stop, and the bus and they just right cruised by? right by. This is like, Wow.
3: That sucks. Nobody
0: nobody wants the missionaries on the bus. Oh man. it's okay, Spencer. Come on. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> For those of you that can't see right now, he's tearing up a little bit. Yeah.
1: Hey, I still got beef with this one bus driver who started, like, <laughs> we were sitting in the back row of his bus. There's nobody else on the bus. It was just us and him. And he starts talking to us, um, acting all friendly, but he knew something was up. And then he just, like, starts trashing us and just starts, like, spewing anti-stuff. Oh, and nice. it was like, sir, you're the bus driver. Like, I'm paid to be on this bus. I don't need you're you to. You're supposed to be friendly. Yeah, I don't need you to belittle <laughs> my religion on this bus. And we were just like, you can drop us off right here. And he pulled over and we got out. It's like, great, that stinker. Mm. Um, okay. Most of them are nice though. There's a few. There's a few really kind ones as well. But a lot of good people in Vancouver. <laughs> oh, in general, awesome. But yeah. just like one or two bus drivers, if Jag I ever saw weeds. them on the street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man. Well, is there any other before we wrap up? Like stories um, from oh Ecuador, or I mean, there's probably tons. <laughs> but uh, is I mean, there any any people or any spiritual experiences? <laughs> or pick one or two. And I mean, you can always come back on and share more, but let's let's pick one this or two that stick by. out. It goes no, back quick. It's so fast. Oh my gosh! I mean, and
2: I'm sure the people listening are like, "Oh, like, this what is, is going it over? on
1: forever." I to it. me, I'm just like, "It's I been even it's so interesting." Scratch
2: the surface. Yeah. It's
1: been 52 minutes. Dang, so. yo,
2: okay. Um, I. Uh, Of course, I paused. The (laughs) friendships that I made on my mission are really unlike any other friendships I've made since, before or since. I never see these people. And other than messages on Facebook, like the occasional phone call, and by occasional, I'm being very generous. Mm -hmm. I don't hear from them, and they don't really hear from me. But the connection that I still feel with them is just incredible. And Mm -hmm. um, so the people that I served with they they left a a real impression on my heart and in my life um i was thinking about i have a one of my companions uh hansy pants <laughs> she lives in chicago we we message every once in a while and it's just so fun to reminisce because we had really similar hu- senses of humor so our time together was just was really fun and so there's a million stories i wish i could tell tell about hansy pants and um, and Davis. Oh, Davis. All these people. Oh, I wish I had more time. But then I realized this isn't as nearly as interesting to anyone else as it is to me. <laughs> um, I will share one experience. I, I was in a town called Otovalo in my last transfers, uh, my last two transfers. And we lived in this apartment building. Uh, it was, it was uh, the second floor Uh, and behind us there was this courtyard and there, and there was a few other apartments behind us that were all just sort of single level. Uh, In one of these places was a family, and the father and the mother were always gone. Uh, If I understood correctly, the father had had a drinking problem, so he was often away, and the mother worked quite a bit to support the family, and they had four children, and the oldest was eight, and so the eight-year-old would have to watch the younger ones, but she was also in school, and so she also had to take care of everything in the house. She kept up the house, and she looked after her younger siblings. So we'd often see them when we were coming in and out, and we'd hear them when we were in the apartment. They'd come, and they'd ask for candy in the apartment. They were just adorable. Um, This one night, I heard crying. We always heard crying, (laughs) but we heard crying this one night, and I was like, that's not one of the younger ones. I was like, that's Sisa. She was the 8-year-old, the oldest, and she never cried. But she was crying, and, and so I went outside, and... I sat at the, the bottom of our stairs, uh, which is what met up with the courtyard. And, and she came over to me, and she just, she was really stoic. She was trying to not let me see that she was crying. And so she came, and uh, she sat next to me, and I put my arm around her, and we just talked, and I asked her, you know, what's your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing to do, Sisa? And she's like, I really like making the beds. And I was like, that's fun. Making beds is fun. And in my heart, my, bra- <laughs> my I'm just breaking inside this sweet, sweet girl. And we just sat there and we talked and I had my arm around her and I just had this overwhelming feeling that I was like, <laughs> I was like, if the Savior could be anywhere in the world right now, this is exactly where he would choose to be with this little girl. Just to comfort her and to, you know, let her know that she's not alone, that she's seen and that she's loved and she's appreciated. And I got to be there. And I I was so humbled that I got to be there. I got to stand in for him and give her whatever comfort I could. That was an incredible moment. And I think that really that's what the mission's about that's where you'll find happiness if you choose to serve a mission look for those opportunities to to help people feel that they're loved that they're seen and and show that genuine support to them and that's where you'll find those happy moments in the mission so yeah that was
1: yeah amen to that (laughs) amen to that um, we wanted to before we go feel like we should just end right there that's like the, that's a, that's okay. a kicker that, I don't know <laughs> we, uh, my mission present was always like when you're teaching a lesson and you feel the spirit like so strong fill the room and you're testifying just end it and get out of there Yeah. then they're gonna because the second you leave like the spirit's gonna kind of leave and they're gonna realize that like what they were feeling was like coming from you coming from the yeah. gospel coming from your testimony like don't just like draw it out and then start making jokes it's gonna yeah. disappear you know it's like um anyway well, I felt the spirit really strong with what you're saying and you know share my testimony that that's true too that the best part the number one best part about being a missionary is the moments when you realize that you acting as a representative of Jesus Christ is is real that you're there doing exactly what he would do and saying exactly what he was saying if he was there
3: yeah
1: um but we did want to give a quick shout out to the institute while we're here oh, yeah. um and just institute in general Um, it, uh, has been such a blessing in our lives. I wanted to ask about it, get you to talk about it a little bit, just because I think it's such a good resource that goes so underappreciated. Our institute classes aren't always as full as they should be. It's probably a worldwide problem. And it's such a good thing for young people. When I got home from my mission, everyone says, like, when they get home from their missions, they have no friends or their friends are gone or here or whatever. When I got home, like, I really, really had, like, no friends, pretty much. I was, like, really lonely. And I spent so much of my time in my parents' basement that it was just driving me crazy. I had to leave the house. And so I used to um, come to Institute and to Value Village, uh, every day nice. of the week, and like yeah. the institute teachers probably thought I was crazy. Like, but I would come for like a class, and then like the class would finish, I'd be sitting there, and they'd be like, "Oh, Spencer, do you have any like other questions or something? And you're staying behind." And I was like, "No, I'm just waiting for the next class to start." <laughs> like, it's <laughs> <laughs> so, like I just, um, yeah. I just needed to leave the house. I needed to be somewhere where I could feel the spirit and just be talking about the gospel. So it helped me out a lot, and I became a big fan of the institute. So as you've been working here mm-hmm. and you get to know the institute teachers and the programs and the lessons and all of that. Um, what's your pitch? Uh, give us the pitch oh, to get pitch. people to come to Institute.
2: I like I wish that there was a way for me to to articulate it that would really hit people. Um, you will find an institute. You will find people that you wouldn't find found anywhere else. Um, you will find insight and and genuine concern for your well-being. It, like Institute was a huge part of me finding the gospel, of me appreciating it, of me learning it. It was the bedrock of my testimony. So when I came home, I was quick to come back because I, I wanted to keep going. I think that there's tends to be this culture of, well, I know it all. I've heard these lessons mm-hmm. a million times, I've heard the same comments, or people drive me crazy with their comments. Um, and so you think it's not for me or it's just an option. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is exactly what you need, because when you are there, the Lord will use the spirit to cater that lesson to be what you need to hear. You know, it it is, it's amazing to me how individual a lesson can be for so many people who are experiencing different things. It's sort of like general conference in that way, Mm -hmm. when the same talk can apply to multiple different people in multiple different stages of their lives, facing different things. That's what the institute is. And I know that these teachers and and for myself, like, we love you guys so much. And we love to see that light come into your countenance, into your faces when you have those realizations or when you make those connections with people. It's just, it's positive and it's happy and it's a refuge. I, I think that it's easy to connect with people in other ways now. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's like social media, Facebook, but it's mm-hmm. true. Like <clears throat> we didn't have those things when I was in my early twenties. So Institute really was the place where you came to meet people and to make plans to go hang out. Um, but it hasn't, it, it's lost that. Mm-hmm. So if you are someone who you feel you have something to contribute to building that culture of Institute in the city, please come because we need you. We're losing people, and there's people who would benefit so much. It would change their lives, and they're not coming. Mm -hmm. And it's because that culture has shifted. Mm -hmm. And so we need to figure out how to bridge that gap and get people to start coming back because when... These, when this building is full, you guys know. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. It's fun.
0: Tell us about the fun, Shane. Oh, let me tell you about the fun, everybody. <laughs> we uh, So, my, I guess it was your first year of university. Well, sort of. Your first year, year of university as well. Anyway, Spencer, my, my first year of university for sure, and Spencer was also quite new to it. We would come to the Institute all the time because it's like right by the university, and there'd all be all these people in it, and we were just getting into all these shenanigans. <laughs>
2: so many <laughs> shenanigans.
0: Literally so many shenanigans. We like... What did we do- what are some of the things we did we like we had a sword fight. Sword fight
2: with a sword fight.
0: There was a real sword fight with like actual potlids. knives. Real and knives and then, oh potlids. yeah, you guys had real Cindy knives. Cindy actually got and mad at me, which means the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Cindy got mad at Spencer knives. We have a we lot of fighting with knives. We have yeah. a lot of hot debates. We, we do did. We yeah. take a lot of polls.
2: There's lots of like oh,
0: the, the whiteboard polls. Do a yeah, lot of whiteboarding. Yeah,
2: it's like a think tank. Do good. a lot of decorating. Lots of philosophical Decorate. We do, and we
0: to pull pranks on the institute We pull a lot of pranks on the institute teachers. And fill their offices with things and. Yeah, that's pretty
2: good. It's a harbor of procrastination. It is. You never
1: do any schoolwork. And yeah, and I mean, mean, our institute building is great, but there are institute buildings nearly worldwide, I imagine Mm -hmm. in a lot of places. And so this sounds like a... a space that appeals to you, if you're listening right now, and you're like, "Man, that sounds fun." There's probably a Shane Letheby in an institute building <laughs> near you. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely. such he's such a generic guy. Um,
3: <laughs> oh yeah, rather than David
1: So yeah, I mean, find out find out what your nearest institute building is, and go sign up for some classes. It'll do you some good.
0: Yeah. Um, I agree, and like also, I'm. I see, so I got to plug this as well. Um, it's it is like such a good way to keep like especially since we're talking about missions right now It's such a good way to keep your mission alive if You're an RM like keep that relevant in your life because it is a it's a place where you can have those spiritual experiences with People who kind of get what you're talking about because you know when you get back from mission It's kind of like you get home and it feels like almost nobody cares about this crazy big thing that happened to you Well at the Institute There's a lot of people that have similar kind of experiences and really understand that and if you're going on a mission You're planning to go on a mission. There's no better way to prepare for a mission than to go to institute because there's all those people with those experiences around plus the lessons are exactly what you need to know before yeah. you go
2: it's neat because you you learn the gospel in a new way and how to apply it in what's happening in your life right now
3: mm-hmm.
2: so it's very relevant very very relevant so yeah.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Cindy, for joining us.
2: Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. I talked a lot.
1: So you're, you're, it's all good. Your tongue's looking a little yellow. Josh? looking a little yellow. Maybe it happens when you talk too much. Maybe. You start turning yellow. I need to get
2: tongue. some pink honey. I got pink some honey. in London drugs. We should probably
1: ask. just go ask at the counter.
2: Sounds like a stripper's name. <laughs> 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 That's, and uh, on, that and note. on that
1: note, uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can uh, find us on the interwebs and all the social media spots. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at <laughs> TotoMyMission, at toto, My Mission, at T-O-T-O My Mission.
2: Hashtag pink honey.
1: Don't, yeah, use the hashtag pink honey if yeah. you want to get in touch. <laughs> don't Google it just in case. Um, if you are on the Google and, and you're looking for something to do, click on the Gmail tab. send us an email at this one time on my mission at gmail.com. ask us your questions, send us your stories, send us your pictures. we'll post it. we'll share it on the pod or on our Instagram. Our Instagram's pretty fire. Um, ben is not here this week, but he sent us a text with uh, some parting words of wisdom as he always likes to share uh, to let us know uh, this week to keep in mind that more money is mo missions. Um, that's wise so well on said. Well, uh, on that note, look for us in a few weeks for another pod in your feed. We love you. Peace out.
3: Awesome.